This is Andrew Litton, Music Director of New York City Ballet, welcoming you back to another podcast of Seed the Music. Today we will be discussing the music chosen by Alexei Ratmansky for his 2008 ballet entitled Concerto DSCH. The music is Dmitry Shostakovich's joyous second piano concerto. It is a totally uncharacteristically cheerful piece in the composer's output. Many, including yours truly, consider Shostakovich to have been the greatest symphonist of the 20th century. Besides the brilliance of the music, his 15 symphonies serve as a kind of graphic newsreel portrayal of life in Soviet Russia, both under Stalin and his successors. The only other work that Shostakovich wrote in 1957, besides the piano concerto, was his monumental 11th symphony. This symphony is probably one of his most cinematographic works, depicting with shocking realism the gruesome murder of innocent protesters by the Tsar's Cossacks in January 1905, the first stage of the Russian Revolution. Many still think of the piece as an allegorical outcry against the Soviet invasion of Hungary in 1956. I suppose its message of wrongful death can be construed meaningfully in any way, but Shostakovich had figured out how to be a career dissident without being killed, and all of this at the height of the Cold War. Shostakovich survived being denounced twice by his government and narrowly avoided being imprisoned. In the late 1930s, he took to sleeping in the stairwell of his apartment building so that when the dreaded black van pulled up in the middle of the night to arrest him, it wouldn't disturb his young family. Fortunately for them and us, the van never came. One of the family members sleeping peacefully was the composer's newborn son, Maxime. The significance of Maxime is that 19 years later, as a birthday present for Maxime, and especially for Maxime's entrance exam to the Moscow Conservatory, Shostakovich wrote the second piano concerto. It is astonishing that two such vastly different works as the 11th Symphony and the Piano Concerto could come from the same composer at the same time. On a personal note, I was rehearsing the concerto, playing the piano solo, and conducting the Dallas Symphony, where I was music director, in preparation for concerts and an eventual commercial recording in September of 1998. When I play and conduct at the same time, I angle my piano into the orchestra, so instead of perpendicular to the audience, I'm about 45 degrees angled in so I can see more of my players. The piano position on this occasion put me face to face with my associate principal cellist, a lovely Russian emigre named Yuri Anshalevich. He was looking at me at the first rehearsal with what seemed like greater intensity than usual. And as soon as I called a break, he came up to me and he said, you know, I played at the premiere in 1957. Since he was a friend, I know he didn't realize how intimidating that revelation was. Respect. It's worth noting that not only did Maxim premiere the second concerto on his actual 19th birthday, but he got into the Moscow Conservatory. So why does Ratmansky name his ballet DSCH? For that, I need to give you all a little bit of a music theory class combined with a German language lesson. Western music is based on 12 notes. Imagine a piano keyboard of white and black notes. That is seven white notes and five black ones. We use the first seven letters of the alphabet to name our notes. So going down to A, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. 
The black notes alter the white notes by making them sharper or flatter. So A, A sharp, B, or B flat, B, C, C sharp, E, and so on and so forth. About a thousand years ago in the Middle Ages, someone in Germany decided to change what they would call B flat and B natural. No one knows why, since they didn't rename any other notes, and the reason has been lost in the sands of time. So B became H, and B flat became B. If you're confused, so are we all. A few hundred years passed until the 1700s when the great genius Johann Sebastian Bach figured out that thanks to this exclusive German spelling, he could set his name B-A-C-H to music. And he did, very discreetly, in numerous compositions. So B-A-C-H. 200 years later, Dmitry Shostakovich is fighting the Soviet regime for his life physically and spiritually, and figures out that he can set his name just like Bach, but now as a sort of defiant musical cryptogram. It became almost a form of survival for him, defying his enemies with his name imprinted in his most controversial scores. So now let's dig deeper into DSCH. English speakers spell Shostakovich S-H-O-S-T-A. The Germans spell it with an additional C, so it becomes S-C-H-O-S-T-A-Kovich. So in D-S-C-H, the D stands for Dimitri, which was his first name, and the S-C-H are the first three letters of his last name in German. So how exactly does D-S-C-H translate into notes? Again, knowledge of German is essential. The way the Germans say their flat notes it's by adding an S. So E becomes S or E flat. D becomes DES or D flat. C becomes SES or C flat, etc. With again, only the notorious B and H making the huge exception. So the musical notes for D, S, C, H in musical language are D, E flat, S, C, B. Shostakovich uses this musical cryptogram in dozens of different ways throughout his compositional output, and I can't begin to count in how many of his works these notes feature prominently. I can think of at least 10, including three symphonies, three quartets, the first violin concerto, and the first cello concerto. Here is an example of DSCH first appearing in the great 10th symphony. The winds shriek it out like this in the third movement. D-S-C-H. Half an hour later, the whole masterpiece comes to a close with the timpani pounding out the four-note motif and the ending almost seems triumphant. But is it really? This talk doesn't allow further conjecture on that subject, but I thought you should know the major significance of DSCH, since Ratmansky names his ballet after it. Does the DSCH motive appear in the second piano concerto? Perhaps. So what about the music to this second piano concerto? It is all irrepressible youthful spirit, is full of a father's love for his son, and many musical in-jokes 
that I'm sure we don't know the half of. It is scored for strings, pairs of woodwinds, no other brass except horns and percussion. The first movement opens with a sprightly march introduced by the bassoons. And then the piano enters with this cute and comical theme in octaves, still accompanied by this sort of vamp. Suddenly, the snare drum introduces us to the second part of the theme, which sure seems like a quote from the old sea shanty, what shall we do with the drunken sailor? confirm nor deny if that was Shostakovich's intention, but he had a good knowledge of British and American folk songs, and it seems highly likely that this similarity was no fluke. The piano and orchestra go through a number of fun interactions when it becomes time for the second theme in Moody D minor. This theme is accompanied by a jazzy orchestral accompaniment. So. Etc. Then it is time for the development section, and it should be noted that Dad, the composer, has not been too hard technically on his son yet with this piece until now. Etc. Etc. Now let me analyze these notes for a second. Remember we were talking about D S C H. Well, guess what? There it is. So he hides it even in the second piano concerto, a very happy piece. Incredible. So very subtle, though. You have to really, but that's also the big use of octaves for the pianist. And then the development section continues to challenge the soloist with the following passage work and contrary octaves. There's a huge climax with the orchestra shouting out the first theme while the piano accompanies, and then suddenly it is time for the cadenza, or piano solo.
orchestra comes in, everything gets faster, louder, and more fun until we have the final statement of drunken sailor and the movement comes to a riotous close. second movement, or slow movement, like so much of Shostakovich, is the emotional epicenter of the concerto. Shostakovich just employs the strings here, with the exception of one lone French horn, and writes one of the most gorgeous movements ever written by anybody. You can really feel the father's love for his son in every measure. It starts with the strings playing a simple sarabande. piano enters, it is truly one of the greatest uses of the key C major in all of music. French horn. Etc. Etc. Such beautiful music. Then the piano does a small variation of the old string introduction. Mm -hmm. 
third and final entrance of the gorgeous piano part happens like this. suddenly. I talked earlier about father and son in-jokes. Well, this is how the second theme of the last movement of Rachmaninoff's first piano concerto goes. Get it? It's just like this without all the harmonies. So I have no proof of this whatsoever, but I'm willing to bet that Maxime at the age of 19 was working on Rachmaninoff's first piano concerto and his father figures out a way to stick it in this slow movement. Not just once, but he repeats the bar, almost like, haha, listen to our great humor between us. The movement ends in the sad key of C minor, and the piano leads into the third movement by just repeating C's. Suddenly, it's party time. The second theme is a crazy dance in seven. So what gives it that funky beat? Well, it's because it's missing one, to be honest. Any lesser composer would have written. But that's no fun. So take one eighth away. So it's absolutely an amazing thing to stick in a piano concerto, suddenly lose an eighth note like that and have a completely riotous dance. Then there's another in-joke between father and son. The complete bane of every young pianist's existence are a set of very mandatory hand exercises by a chap called Hannon. We all had to do them. Shostakovich blatantly throws in a few passages as a joke. Et cetera, et cetera. I could sure use those right now. But anyway, everything we've experienced in the movement, we get to hear again. All the themes, the crazy dance in seven, the sheer wild fun. Shostakovich even brings back the Hannon one more time.
piano and orchestra go through a number of fun interactions, and the whole piece comes to a boisterous close. extraordinary little chamber concerto. It has gained a steady place in the concert hall, perhaps even being the last 20th century concerto to make it to the mainstream. During the course of this delightful work, Shostakovich shows us that no matter how bad the world is outside, a father's love comes first, especially when you can also help get your kid into the conservatory. Thanks for joining us and come see DSCH this month. <laughs>